0: Let's pray. We have our Bibles open to Matthew chapter 16, and we'll spend about the next 25 to 30 minutes seeing if the Lord has something fresh for us to hear this morning. Father, we just think this season about how the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. That You were no longer a a foreign concept, a A a mental gymnastic, Lord, something that we have to conjure up in our mind that you took on human flesh so that we could behold your glory in front of us and in reality, Lord. And you've recorded these things in in a book called the Bible. And we get to continually be reminded of these things this season, Lord, and all year long. So as we open up and we're just reading about the life of, of Jesus, I pray that that his life would be our life. That his words would be our words. That his actions would be our actions. That his footsteps would be our footsteps. And his heart would be our heart. Lord, we thank you that you've, you've not just come to be among us, but you've taken that a step further. And for many of us, you actually dwell in us. You are Christ in us, the hope of glory. And Lord, uh, this morning, all the, the heavy burdens of the season, all the, the struggles, the difficulties, Lord, we just lay those at Your feet. Submit them all to You. Pray, Lord, that You just grab hold of our hearts this morning. Show us all the things that, uh, that we worry about that are really petty little things in the face of eternity. Lord, I pray that You make this church an eternal-focused church. And that we would serve You, and we would run our race, finish our course to the very end until we finally get to be with You. Open our eyes that we might see wondrous things from Your Word. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. A lot of churches right now are going through uh, Christmas series uh, you have to understand something about your pastor. I'm a very uh, routine kind of guy, and, I, and so we're just going to continue in the series we've been in called The Biography of the King, The Life of Jesus. It started a number of months ago, and it'll end a number of months from now, and we're just going right through verse by verse and chapter by chapter. So I'm just not that creative to come up with some creative you know, December Christmas thing. I figured, let's learn about Jesus, right? So that's what we're doing. We're going to continue on our course uh, through the gospel, according to Matthew, the tax collector. Uh, we have watched Jesus go into these non Jewish areas, and people just receive people that, that had no expectation of who Jesus was supposed to be, according to them, uh, just receiving him, being ministered to by him. They're bringing uh, maim and lame uh, and, and death and, and all of these crippled people and they're laying them down at Jesus's feet and they're being healed. And Jesus is up now in the region by the Sea of Galilee and these Pharisees and the Sadducees uh, come to visit him there. And and before we actually start reading the passage, I want just to take a ask a question here. Maybe some of you have been in situations where there were people in your life maybe It was parents or relatives or teachers or someone that you just tried so hard to please and no matter what you did, it was never enough. No matter what you did, they would just never be pleased. There was nothing you could do to make them happy, to please them. And if that's you, and you know how frustrating that can be when you're trying so hard and yet it never happens, you understand Jesus' frustration. The Bible says he came to his own and his own did not receive him. So if if you understand how that feels, you understand how Jesus feels as as His life progresses closer and closer to the grave, to the cross. So verse uh, 1 of chapter 16 says, Then the Pharisees and the Sadducees came and, testing Him, asked that He would show them a sign from heaven. Now, we don't often see the Pharisees and the Sadducees in the same sentence together, do we? Typically, it's been the Pharisees and who? The scribes. The Pharisees and the scribes. They're they're really closely connected. Those two groups of people. The scribes being the professional teachers, the one that would decide what the word of God actually said for us. For those people at that time, the Pharisees were the ones who were constantly being condemned by Jesus for their hypocrisy. Their their religion was merely outward; it never affected them on the inside. And we understand what Pharisees look like today. We, we've seen that kind of thing where there is all the, the ritual and going through all the motions, but yet uh, lacking anything that that is meaningful on the inside. It's just simply a religious routine. And Jesus would call them hypocrites. Uh, and that was the Pharisees. These were the working guys, the working class folks. Now the Sadducees, we haven't met them yet, that I can recall going through Matthew. These two parties, the Pharisees and Sadducees, to make it simple, we can kind of look at them as the Democrats and the Republicans. These were opposite political parties. Uh, they had they were opposite theological parties, and they had widely differing theologies, beliefs about God. Uh, the Pharisees kind of hung their hat on their, their religious purity. They would go through these rituals. That were down to the minutest detail. We saw Jesus condemn them, or well, not condemn them, but ignore their traditions of men. How they washed their hands a certain way, it had to be an eggshell of water poured this way, and everything was very just the minute little details. And that's what they did. The Sadducees rejected all that stuff. Matter of fact, they only accepted the first five books of the Bible, as as being uh, authentic, and all the stuff from the scribes they didn't buy any of that stuff. Matter of fact, the Sadducees also didn't buy the resurrection. They didn't believe in resurrection. They didn't believe in the afterlife. They didn't believe in angels or spirit. None of those things. They were the materialists. They, they believed only in what they could touch and measure. And so you can see that there, there are two widely different uh, approaches here to God from these two groups. The Sadducees also, might be interesting to you, were the nobility. They were the aristocratic nobility. There's no king in Israel right now. So the highest ruler then would be the high priest, who would have been a Sadducee. And the chief priest, many of those guys would have been part of this Sadducee group. They were highly political uh, in terms of the fact that they were wealthy and they had power. And so they were willing to cooperate with whatever government they were under, Romans at this time, the, the Roman government, to make sure they preserve their wealth. We don't want anything to mess with our wealth, so we'll do whatever we have to, religiously speaking, to cooperate with the government because we like our standard of living. And the Pharisees, they they wanted nothing more than to be separate from the world that they lived in. So, widely different groups, aren't they? Pharisees and the Sadducees, but yet, when it comes to Jesus, they find some bipartisan cooperation here, don't they? They come together, and they come testing Jesus, asking him if he would show them A sign from heaven. Now, those of you that have been following along know that they weren't testing him. Sometimes we test something to validate it, to show whether it's real or not. You know, you're subjected to a test because you want to find out if it's true. But these guys were testing Jesus to invalidate him. They wanted to prove that he wasn't the son of David, that he wasn't the savior of Israel. Because that would challenge their power. If he was, I mean, again, there's no king in Israel Jesus is the king. So if the king comes and they recognize him, guess what that means for the Sadducees? They'd be sad, you see. That is the oldest joke. I am ashamed I even told that. How many of you heard that before? See how old that is? Oh. They, from me, right. i got to get some new material, but, but that's really the issue here. None of them, for their own, each for their own reasons, uh, wanted to see Jesus have any recognition or power. They were envious of him. People, were, multitudes were following him. And it was very, very threatening. So they take it upon this. They're the, they're the Messianic validators. They come from Jerusalem to where Jesus is. And they say, hey, we want to see a sign. Now, remember John the Baptist? And how when he was in prison, you know, John the Baptist knew He he was the one that pointed everybody to Jesus. Behold, the Lamb of God. And and yet, when he's in prison, he begins to have some struggles and doubts. And he says, he sends to Jesus by by his, his disciples, hey, go ask Jesus, are you the coming one or should we expect another? And Jesus sends back to John the Baptist. He says, tell John the things that you've seen, the things that you've heard. The blind see, lepers are cleansed, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. He gives them a list to validate who he is to John, to remind John of these things that he did. The things that he did just in the previous chapter. Maimed, were being healed and walking again and all of these miraculous things. But evidently that's not good enough for these guys. And John, of course, came with a very um, honest and sincere doubt. But many people come with a very dishonest and hypocritical doubt. That no matter what Jesus does, it won't make you believe. And there may be some in, like that here this morning. You see, they say, we want to see a sign from heaven. Those were earthly signs, Jesus. You know, multiply, multiplying the bread, feeding 5,000, healing people. Those are earthly signs. They can be maybe imitated or faked. But we want to see a sign from heaven. They believe that that couldn't be faked. So call down fire or do something like that. And some of you are like that, again, maybe in here this morning. You've come, and you continue to come, but in your heart, you've already decided that you're not following Jesus. You're here because your wife dragged you here, or your parents dragged you here, but you already know that there's no Jesus, this is all a myth, and no matter what, you might say, well, if God showed me a sign, I would believe. Really? I mean, as if you haven't seen enough, you look out, the Bible says creation itself Is clear proof to the scientific mind, if you follow it out, that science leads you right to God. Because we know life always comes from life, and we know DNA and RNA. These things are language. They can be transcripted, they can be copied. And language always requires intelligence. And so all those signs are already there. But some of you say, well, if God, if God would just speak to me audibly, then I'd believe. Or if God well, I lost my job, and if God finds me a job, then I'll believe. And you get a job, and then what do you say? Well, I, that was just coincidence. It's like the guy Christmas time, and he's driving through the parking lot at the mall, and he's just frustrated because he can't find a close spot, and, and so he prays. You know, he says, "God, if you're real, if you're up there, you know, find me a parking spot. If you find me a close parking spot, some of you maybe prayed that this past weekend. I don't know. If you find me a close parking spot, then I'll I'll believe in you." And so he's driving along, and, and miraculously, two cars just scrunch apart. I mean, they just divide these two cars right in the park. And the guy says, Oh, never mind, God, I found one, and just pulls right in. <laughs> just explain it right away. I mean, that's maybe you've done that. You've tested God. Well, if God is God, why isn't he doing this? Or why isn't he doing that? Why doesn't he show me a sign? He's shown you signs. That's. The whole point with these Pharisees and the Sadducees—they've already decided in their heart that they do not believe, and no matter what Jesus does for them, it won't produce faith in them. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen, and it's never—faith is never produced by miracles. You know what? What? Jesus said to Thomas, you know, Thomas said, I can't believe lest I put my hands in. And and God met him there. He knew Thomas was sincere. And God showed himself. He said, go ahead, Thomas, put your hands in my side. Put your hands in the wounds in in my hands. Blessed are you because you've seen, but more blessed are the ones that haven't seen and yet believe. So Jesus doesn't say, I mean, if I was Jesus, I'd say, all right, you want to see fire from heaven? Boom, right there. Have a little bit. It's a good thing I'm not Jesus. It's a good thing you're not either. So he answers and said to them When it is evening, you say, It will be fair weather, for the sky is red. And in the morning, it will be foul weather today, for the sky is red and threatening. Hypocrites! You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. So in answer, Jesus basically tells them, look, we we know the saying, you know, red sky night, sailor's delight, red sky morning, sailor's warning. I also tell people, you can always tell when the Christmas decorations come out, you can tell what is coming. Thanksgiving. Because all the decorations are out way before. So it's kind of a sign that Thanksgiving is coming because the Christmas decorations are up at Lowe's. I think they were up by Halloween this year. That is crazy. That is really crazy. So he's saying that when it comes to the weather, they didn't have the weather channel. They didn't have weather underground and all these, you know, AccuWeather and where you get the 10-day forecast. And and they were very much more in touch with the world that they lived in. I used to work with a guy who was from Mississippi, and he told me when it clouds up on a frost, you know it's going to snow. And I thought, so I've checked that out over the years, and it's fairly accurate. If you get up in the morning and it's frosty, and then it begins to cloud over. It's an indicator that snow is coming. So you have to know what the signs are. And then you have to know what they point to. And these guys, hey, he says, you guys know the weather. You know how to observe the signs. And you know that they're predictable. And you know what they what they point to. And if you follow them out to their conclusion, you know what you're going to have. And you know that with the weather. It is but you hypocrites. You, you, the signs of, of myself, the signs of my presence here, the signs of the kingdom are all around you. The problem is you observe them, but you won't let them lead you to the natural conclusion that I am who I said I am. Or that I am who people have said that I am. And that's next week's study. Who do you say that I am? But they're, they're, And that's why he calls them hypocrites. They're really not interested. They're not interested in validating him. And so they're just acting. They're pretending to be interested. And again, maybe that's some of you this morning. You're just here, and you're kind of pretending to, trying to pretend to be interested, but your mind is on a thousand things because you really have no time or room for Christ in your life. And uh, hypocrites. You know how to discern the face of the sky, but you cannot discern the sign of the times. They had Old Testament prophecies like Daniel chapter 9, they had other things that had indicated what the Messiah would be like when he came. Uh, they had formulated a whole nother picture in their minds. You know, when I first started, um, many of you know my wife, Helga, and when we first met, you know, I'm from Philadelphia, and and she's from New York, but we were both living down here when we met, and I remember calling up my friends from from high school and college that I was still in touch with and telling them that I had gotten engaged, and I was just real excited, and so, of course, they wanted to know about Helga, and I, so they said, well, what's her name? I said, her name's Helga. Oh, that's an interesting name, you know. To this day, Olga, Heidi, people have a hard time getting her name right. But, uh, oh, her name, well, what does she do for a living? Well, she works with concrete. <laughs> oh. So now they're starting to formulate a picture in their mind. Oh, really? She works with concrete? Does she have any hobbies? Yeah, she plays ice hockey. <laughs> <laughs> so now the picture is beginning to build, and of course, you uh, <laughs> of course, when when you meet her, you see she's just beautiful and petite, and she's not an Amazon. And uh, after all, and she doesn't wear a Viking helmet and have long blonde braids. But you see how you can have a misconception, and that's they had done that to the Messiah. They had expected, you know. Here's the funny thing: the Sadducees don't even believe in in these miracles, and yet what are they there asking for? A miracle. So you see the contradiction. You you see that. You see the hypocrisy? So Jesus speaks to them about the signs of weather. you know these things, and he says, "A wicked and adulterous generation seeks after a sign, and no sign shall be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah, and he left them and departed. He's not going to play their game. He's not going to get sucked into that. Matter of fact, the sign that he will give them will be a stumbling block to both of them. He's going to give them the sign of resurrection. And it's still a stumbling block to a lot of people. Because when you ask God to show you a sign, it's usually some kind of miraculous thing, some kind of healing or some kind of audible voice. And he says, the sign I'm going to give is the sign of the prophet Jonah. Jonah got swallowed by a huge fish, was covered by seaweed and whale guts for three days until he got vomited out onto the beach and went and preached Nineveh his hair had been bleached his eyebrows had been bleached his skin you know how it is when you're in the bathtub too long you know his skin was all all messed up and pruned and and here he comes and he's preaching to the people in Nineveh and they repent the sign of, of the prophet Jonah is Jonah himself is the sign it's not anything Jonah did Jonah was the sign it is if as if Jonah had been buried in the earth and then had come back from the earth his his fishy grave three days later. And Jesus says that's the sign It's going to be a resurrection. And you know what? To this day, folks, this the clear sign of the reality, for, for those of you here that don't believe or are struggling to find something to believe, look around the room at the changed lives. I mean, if you talk to my friends from college and high school, they will tell you I am not the same. They don't know who I am because I was I died, I was buried with Christ, but yet I was born again to walk in newness of life. I was resurrected. And I will be resurrected eternally. But the continual proof of the reality of the Gospel of Jesus Christ is is resurrected people. Like you and like me. That my life is not the same anymore. From the day I gave it to Christ, it changed forever. I am not the same man. And so this is the sign. Now the interesting thing again is, the Sadducees, they didn't believe in miracles. And they didn't believe in resurrection. So what does Jesus say? You guys that don't believe in resurrection, guess the sign I'm going to give you? Resurrection. He's got a sense of humor. And the Pharisees, of course, they were looking for a a powerful ruler who would come in and, and regain the purity of Israel. And yet, Jesus gets crucified. Their king gets crucified like a common criminal. Not what they were looking for, a stumbling block to both. That's the sign I'm going to give. Now, when his disciples had come to the other side, they had forgotten to take bread. Then Jesus said to them, Take heed and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and of the Sadducees. Now, just look back at chapter 15 for a second. Verse 39, at the end of the feeding of the 4,000, uh, it says he sent away the multitude, got into the boat, and came to the region of Magdala. So Jesus had, had left the disciples to uh, kind of gather up the bread and clean up there. He had gone on. So now the disciples followed him. They got into the boat, and now they come to meet him. And and this is it's so interesting. He, they had come to their side, and they realized, we forgot to pack Jesus' dinner. I mean, they had all this bread from the feeding of the 5,000. And, and then they realized, and Mark tells us, that they only had, they had brought one loaf, and they're sort of thinking about this, going, "Oh, whose job was it to bring the bread? We forgot dinner. Somebody was supposed to pack us, you know, the, the meal, and we all forgot." And so they're bothered by this. They're thinking about this. They come to Jesus, and Jesus tells them to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and and they don't know what to believe when Jesus talks. Is this a parable? Is he speaking to us in plain things? We don't know. So they're confused, and they're trying to. He said, leaven, leaven's in bread. You know what leaven is, right? Leaven is just yeast. It's what makes the bread rise. And so he said, leaven, and we don't have bread. He must have been saying, look, verse 7, they reasoned among themselves saying, it is because we have taken no bread. Oh, that's why Jesus says, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, because we forgot to bring bread. But Jesus, being aware of it, said to them, oh, you of little faith. I mean, these are... I think it was Gail Irwin that always says, these are the apostles, not the b-postles. These are the guys he prayed all night over and then chose. And he says, oh, you have little faith. I mean, come on, guys. Why do you reason among yourselves because you have brought no bread? So often God wants to teach us a lesson that is spiritual in nature. And so often we miss it because we're so focused on the earthly and the temporary. God wants us to, to take us into the heavenly realms. And we miss these truths. We miss the very truths in the Word of God because you know, Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he says, If you want to see the kingdom of heaven, you've got to be born again. And he begins to calculate, you know, How can I, um, I weigh this many pounds and I'm this big now, how am I going to get back into my mother's womb and be born again? He's looking at it from the, the, the temporal sense. Jesus says, No, that's not what I'm talking about. This temporary world is not the world we live for. The truths that we learn relate to our life in this world, but they're much deeper. They're spiritual. And so you oftentimes, if, you're, if your mind is so focused on, on the things of this world, that oftentimes you will miss the very lesson that Jesus is trying to teach you. And Paul said, although the outward man is perishing, the inward man is being renewed day and day day while we don't look at these temporary, these these light afflictions that are but for a moment but we look at the things these things indifferently differently because they're bringing this eternal weight of glory you see the difference and you miss and these guys have missed it completely they're thinking oh, he's talking about bread and Jesus says I'm not talking about bread get it guy he's like oh 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 help me with these guys Do you not yet understand or remember the five loaves of the 5,000 and how many baskets you took up? Nor the seven loaves of the 4,000 and how many large baskets you took up? How is it, this is Jesus asking the question, how is it that you do not understand that I did not speak to you concerning bread? Guys, wake up. Get with the program. Just in the last chapter, I fed 4,000 people. And now you're worried because you brought one loaf of bread. And like, what are we going to do? And, and he holds them accountable to understand and to remember. And Jesus holds you accountable this Christmas season to understand and to remember what he did last year. What he's done for you in the past. The way he's sustained you. The way he's healed you. Because we know that tribulation... There's, I have so much more testing to go through personally. I know that I live in this on this big ball of dirt called Planet Earth. And I know that this is a hard world to live in sometimes. And I know that we go through a lot of stuff. And it's so tempting to, to go through. We see God work in a miraculous way and then we come to this new place, this new test, and we forget everything that He did for us in the past. And it's all fresh and new. again. We go, well, oh, no, how is Jesus going to do this? Right. Understand and remember what I did for you at that time in your life. Don't forget that. And they, how's he going to, you know, he snap his fingers and, and set a buffet if he wants. But he said to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Now, he hasn't explained that yet. He doesn't tell them what it is, but they get it. Now, remember, leaven works pervasively. It works from the inside, very subtly It puffs up, it permeates, it infiltrates. It doesn't take very much of it. It only takes a little leaven to leaven the whole lump. You don't need a whole lot of yeast for your bread. You just need a little bit. And that's how it works. And and it's often used to speak of evil things. Uh, And here he says, again, the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. So verse 12 says, Then they understood. He didn't tell them to beware of the leaven of bread. They thought, well, he's telling us not to go buy bread from the Pharisees. You know, we need bread. Don't go buy it from those Pharisees and Sadducees. Don't, buy, don't go to the kosher you know, bakery. But instead, what was he talking about? What was he warning them about? The doctrine of the Pharisees and Sadducees. He's warning them about instruction. And I want to camp out here for a minute because this is a really, really, really important part. Whenever Jesus warns us about something, we want to pay attention, right? Because he loves us and he's going to warn us about things for our own benefit for our own good because he knew that he was bringing a certain teaching that was contrary in some ways to other teaching that they'd been exposed to and he knew that the teaching that that these guys the Pharisees excited their teaching was like leaven that all it takes is a little bit to get in and it can permeate your life it can permeate their teaching it can permeate their behavior What you listen to is really, really important. And I think our culture has forgotten that. Because we are so inundated with messages, with input from all kinds of sources, from all over the place. I mean, there is more stuff called Christian on YouTube and the Internet. And just because a book is in the Christian bookstore doesn't mean it's good doesn't mean it's right. And so he is telling them, you guys have to beware. And I'm telling you the same thing this morning, folks of Calvary Chapel. You guys have to be careful little ears what you hear. Because you might think, you know, you might be watching that TV show and thinking well, it doesn't affect me. It does. It does. These things, what you hear, what you allow into the eye gate and the ear gate, those things Will dictate how you live your life, and you won't even realize it's happening. Amen. I can all I can tell you when I've met uh, um, people, and I and I see how they live, the kind of church they come from. You can tell because the teaching that you subject yourselves to, and I appreciate. Trust me, as your pastor, uh, I appreciate the trust you have in what you've seen here. To sit, this is a this is a huge responsibility, and I recognize that that. What I tell you guys to do, you'll do in faith. You'll think that, well, we trust Steve, therefore we want to do what, what he says. And I realize that what I say from this pulpit will affect your life, your family, in, in ways that, that you may not even understand. The Bible says when a student is full grown, he becomes like his teacher. And too many churches, too many pastors have decided what the congregation needs. If I'm a pastor, and I'm, I think missions are important, then I can make all, so many, all of my sermons can come back to missions. And the church will be lopsided. And Jesus was about missions, wasn't he? He said, go out in all the world and make disciples. So not that Jesus wasn't about missions. He was. But he was also about other things. He was about loving one another inside the body. And so as pastors decide that they're going to choose and pick what the congregation hears and doesn't hear, they begin to make disciples of themselves. And they begin to the church, then becomes like the pastor. If the pastor has pet doctrine or pet things that he or uh, wants to to put out there and continue to teach about, and that was like the leaven of the Sadducees. You see, the leaven of the Sadducees, the doctrine of the Sadducees was, well, we believe in these things, but we don't believe in those things, and we're going to decide what's really what really Jesus said, and we're going to decide what's really important and it's not resurrection, and we don't believe in miracles, so at our church, we're not going to talk about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Even though it's in the Bible, we're not going to talk about that because we don't believe that. And, and we can have this Sadducee is, is sort of going to a church or being in a place where you're being taught that uh, you can pick and choose what you believe from the Word of God. You can decide what's important for yourself. And that's why, again, we've made this stand here at Calvary Chapel that we are going to go through the whole counsel of the Word of God. There's one church I know the pastor says the, that it takes a whole the whole Bible to make a whole Christian, and I think that's true. There's you can't just pick and choose what parts of Jesus that we like, and what parts we want to follow. So that's the Sadduceean doctrine is adding, excuse me, subtracting from the Word of God. We don't want to subtract from the Word of God, but we don't want to add to it either. That's what the Pharisees did. They said, well, we need the Bible and our book of of traditions over here. That's Pharisee doctrine. And you have to be careful of that too because it produces legalism and it robs joy and it robs a congregation of grace. And as I said, you can tell a congregation how healthy they are by the way they behave because you will be and respond to what you are being taught. And that's why it's so important for me as a pastor to make sure that you're becoming more like Jesus and not Steve. Oh, Lord knows. My wife will tell you, you know, we don't want a congregation of me's. And I don't want a congregation. I want a congregation where we have put before you week after week the life of Jesus and his teaching. And this is what he says. And my only goal is to try to help us all understand what he's saying so you can go home and apply it to your life so you can become more like him not more like me the Pharisees they were hypocrites their whole deal when you get into legalism is all about outward the outward signs the outward religion and we know that when you get when you get into that kind of place it creates all kinds of of a mess in a congregation the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees so Be careful, you are what you eat. Write that next that you are I am what I eat. And you read books and you watch things and you think, well, it's no big deal, you know, it's it really does matter. Be discerning. You know, even little babies can be discerning. You put something in their mouth, they go, pip," you know, "I don't like that. That's no good." Be discerning about what you what you take in spiritually. Think about what you're being taught and ask yourself and here's the thing, what if I believe this truth? What behavior will it lead to in my life? And if that behavior it will lead to doesn't and isn't something that Christ would do or be, then reject it. It's a false teaching. So much of the New Testament is given over to preserving good doctrine, good instruction. It's vital. It's vital to make healthy Christians. Amen. Amen. Now we're going to close with a song, and uh, Phil. Where are you? There you are. Um, and I just want to encourage you folks and, and thinking about these, these things. We have a, a baptism, hopefully, coming up fairly soon here. And um, we have Christmas coming up very soon. And I was at the soup kitchen Friday talking to them about the best gift... That I ever gave to anybody in my life was my own relationship with Jesus Christ, because uh, I was not a fun guy to be around for a long time, and uh, we got married almost 17 years ago. And I'm not the same guy. I changed. It. I'm a work in progress, changing every day. And the, you know, I can you can give one another material gifts, and and they'll break because nothing's made like it used to be anymore, and it breaks in a year and but man, to be to be a person of love, to be a person of selflessness. those are gifts that uh, I think if someone's given a choice, you know, husbands, wives, moms, dads, kids, to see at Christmas time to be able to say, "You know what, I have decided to follow Jesus. And I can't wait to see it's the gift that keeps on giving, isn't it? I can't wait to see what this produces in our marriage. And I'm not talking about just following Him in word, just saying, but following Him indeed with my life, doing what He did. So if that's you and you're saying, you know, this Christmas is a good time, I know I need something more than what I've got. And maybe it's your heart that's been hard like these guys that you just said, you know what, I can't believe, I can't believe, I just can't believe. And this morning, maybe God's changed that in your life. Maybe you've heard what, what was said here, and you say, you know what, maybe I need to believe. So as, that's, as we're closing out, we can stand. You want everybody to stand? Let's stand. And if the Lord is leading you to do so, this Christmas would be a great time uh, for salvation, wouldn't it be? If you want to do that, you want to talk more about that, just come see me after the service.